Hello, and welcome to the Go Take Pictures podcast, where we spend time getting to know people who've decided to use photography to communicate in powerful ways. And the question I want to ask, how do they balance making art with being a real person? How does photography fit into their family, their job, struggles, and everyday life? At the end of the conversation, I'm hoping to know where the art comes from and then share that with you. My guest on this episode is Nate Luby, an outdoor adventure and commercial photographer based in Seattle, Washington. Nate is back for a second episode of the podcast to talk about a project that is being unveiled the same day this episode is released. That project saw him and his team launch a super low light capable camera into the stratosphere in Alaska to film the northern lights from the edge of space. The link to the full film is in the show notes and it's truly breathtaking. For anybody who's listening, your name will already be familiar. So if if people see uh, the name Nate Luby in the uh, show notes. If you see that in the description for what's going on, it's not a mistake. Nate was just on here a couple months ago and we were talking about a pretty awesome project that was coming up. So Nate, welcome again, uh, to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back and I'm, I'm so glad that I'm not here, uh, languishing in failure. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just, <clears throat> I'll cut right to the chase. You have already sent me video uh, a snippet, an early, early, um, viewing version of the the video that you're going to be releasing. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, I don't know, 80% done with the editing. Uh, it feels like I'm 10% done with it. There's always so much of to course. do, but we're in the, we're in the fine tuning stages of the edit, which is really fun. And, um, yeah, pretty exciting. So for anybody who didn't listen to the previous episode, <clears throat> Would you uh, fill us in on this project? What what is this? What was so prone to maybe being a failure that you uh, <laughs> are all happy that it didn't fail? Yeah. So the the project is called Light Side Up, and uh, it was this crazy idea I had to try and film the aurora borealis from the stratosphere, and uh, you know, basically putting a, a, a cinema style camera. We used an A seven S three, Sony A seven S three. We attached it to a weather balloon and we floated it up into the sky. And when I had the idea, it sounded like a fun way to get a cool shot. But it turns out that um, things that have never been done before have never been done for a reason. And that reason (laughs) is because they're ridiculously hard and there's a lot of uh, risk for failure. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So flying a camera on a weather balloon into the stratosphere, what what do the specifics look like like on that? What what kind of... uh... What kind of altitude are we talking here? So our goal was to try and break a hundred thousand feet, which uh, you know is is crazy. That's you know three times higher than a seven forty seven flies. It's right. almost four times higher than Mount Everest, which is just uh, crazy. I guess to put it in kind of a perspective for listeners who are maybe in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> or more familiar, we uh, the balloon it took two hours to get to the top but it went from uh, sea level to like the summit of Mount Rainier in 15 minutes. Wow. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we ended up uh, topping out at 122,000 feet. So we succeeded and exceeded our goal by over 20%. That is amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Well, and for those who are not, that don't, aren't familiar with Sony gear, this is a brand new camera that just just got released yeah you you actually couldn't buy it while we had one um which was kind of fun we had pre-production models that we were borrowing from sony (laughs) i love that borrowing (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) that was actually a pretty serious discussion we had with them as they were like we can send you them before they're released but you have to send them back (laughs) which is like like, i'll send it back (laughs) yeah yeah i was like i'll send most of it back (laughs) uh well that's uh that's that's pretty cool. What a, what a fun privilege to be able to have a relationship with Sony so that you get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fortunate. Um, because you know, there was no camera I felt like on the market that could have handled this the way that the a seven S three did. And so I'm, I'm very lucky that I was able to just call somebody at Sony and ask for one. And they trusted me enough to not just take care of it, but actually like use it for what it was intended for, which was really cool. That is great. So, okay. So what's specific about that camera? that makes it better suited for this type of thing? Or maybe what is it about this camera that you could, you know, was made it not possible before with previous cameras? Yeah. So a couple things, I guess, um, you know, the a seven S line in general is extremely good with low light sensitivity. 
And so um, that was the main benefit. You know, it's extremely dark at night, obviously. But when you get 100,000 feet above the ground, there are literally no city lights. And so we're talking, it's as dark as it can be. You're more or less in space up there. So we needed a camera that was really good in low light. We most of this flight, the camera was at 102,000 ISO oh, man. and there's not a lot of cameras that can produce usable footage in those ranges. Uh, and then also an unlimited recording time. So most of Sony's previous cameras and a lot of Nikon and Canon's also, you know, have that 30 minute overheat warning right? Right. or just a recording limit. They just don't let you go. And so this camera is unlimited, which was, I think you and important. I talked about that recording limit last time we talked. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> and, yeah. uh, it was good because on the on the flight it recorded for three and a half hours all the oh, way man. from when we let go to when it touched back down. And That's amazing. It, yeah, totally. And it's really cool. Also, um, this isn't unique to the A7S three, but we were able to set it to record to card one and then auto switch to card two. And so we filled up an entire hundred and sixty gigabyte card and then it auto rolled over to the other one. And so we have a second card with I mean, unfortunately, it's like 45 minutes of the box is upside down in a forest. It's not good footage, <laughs> right. but it's kind of cool that it did that for me. Oh, that's really cool. So the, and I'm guessing, I, like I said, I've, I've sneak peeked the video. I'm guessing you probably had that camera outfitted with the 20, the Sony 20 millimeter. Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. Um, I didn't, I didn't see a picture of it, but I saw, I saw you talking about, I think autumn was mentioning as I said, F1.8 and you know, all yeah. talking about all the things auto ISO when she gave the range. I was like, Hey, that's scripted. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> we can, we can hear all the info, but I was like, well, 1.8, it must be the 20. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of had a debate. The 24 1.4 was appealing but um, the Aurora is so big, we, we wanted to go as wide as we possibly could with our focal length. And, and so the 20 made the most sense. I mean, something like the Sigma 14 f1.8 would have been cool. But uh, as you know, that ca- that lens weighs more than the camera by an it's order quite of magnitude. Large. Yeah. So. Well, and I think that's maybe one of the things that's most interesting. After you and I talked last time and you were talking about the project and I... I don't know. I, I can't remember what I was doing re- immediately after we talked, but my thought was, okay, so, and I, cause I hadn't asked you this, but like, are they going to put it like in a waterproof housing? Are they going to wrap the thing in like hand warmers? You know, I, I kept thinking about all the logistics, which I know you were already thinking about, but to be able to have such a small lens to go with that camera kit, um, I think that seems like a really it's, it's fortuitous that Sony released that this last year. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It, it could not have been a more perfect lens. And it being small has a lot of benefits beyond just the weight also, because um, you mentioned like insulating from the cold. We put it in a little styrofoam box because uh, for our estimates, it was almost 100 degrees below zero at the top of the flight. And so, you know, cutting a, a circle that's eight inches in diameter lets a lot more cold air in than cutting a circle that's only like two inches in diameter for a smaller lens. Right. And uh, also the ability to protect the front element. It was able to screw filters on. We partnered with Breakthrough Photography and they made us custom lens filters to help insulate from the cold as well. And you can't do that with a fisheye lens with a bulbous front element. So it, it was kind of interesting. It's just one of my favorite astrophotography lenses, but it ended up being perfect for this project for a couple just seemingly random reasons. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. So I don't want to give away too much from the, (laughs) from the video, but I actually am interested in some of the technical stuff. So you mentioned putting it in a foam box. What, what did you use? We actually just used a styrofoam cooler, believe it or not. We, um, (laughs) I I already mentioned breakthrough photography, but, uh, I spent a lot of time talking with their engineers because they have like a full R and D department with uh, you know, custom fabrication. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about coolers and trying to find the best insulation and hilariously, uh, like a $4 styrofoam cooler is as good as it gets. It's, it weighs almost nothing. It's extremely cheap. So I could, uh, I have footage of me cutting like 12 of them apart in my apartment, just like drilling holes in them. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was great for that. It weighs nothing. It was really insulative and yeah. And did you then put, did you do anything to warm up the inside of the interior? We did. We put uh, chemical hand warmers inside the box nice. to help keep it warm. It was kind of a tough balance and there's really no way to 
to test this on the ground because how do you even make it negative 100 degrees to find out if your theory is right? Um, but you know, you don't want to overheat the camera, but you don't want to underheat the camera. And so it, we went with some chemical hand warmers and we just kind of had to cross our fingers and hope that it was correct. Did you have any thoughts about, <clears throat> cause I know when people go out and shoot in super cold conditions, there's all, you know, there's all kinds of ways people do this where, you know, hand warmers and things like that to keep the lens from fogging up. Was there a concern that you would end up, cause you mentioned insulated, you know, custom insulated filter, but was there a concern that you could end up with some fogging or anything like that? Definitely. So, uh, we had a lens or, a, a one of those chemical hand warmers directly under the lens specifically okay. for that reason. Yep. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I, I, I had seen, I think, I don't know if it, it was, if it was you or autumn that shared it in your stories, but I saw the, the cooler with the breakthrough, uh, uh, <laughs> sticker on there. I was like, Oh, okay. That's how they're doing it. And yeah. I had been, I had been thinking about it and I, a couple of times I mentioned, Oh yeah. Nate's doing this really cool thing. And, and they're like, how's he doing? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I just know it's <laughs> attached to a weather balloon, but that's about all I know. So yeah. There, there's a lot of engineering. Uh, the, the video is really distilling down a lot. I mean, I spent I spent over a year brainstorming this and planning and coming up with some some ideas with these engineers, but the video kind of distills all that down into a little bit more of a digestible chunk. But yeah, there's a lot of really like kind of strange hurdles to overcome that you wouldn't think about for normal photography. <laughs> so what are, what are some other ones? Because obviously, I mean, it's just it's weird in general. You're sending a camera up in a cooler attached to a balloon. Right. That's already weird. But <clears throat> what are the other things? I mean, you mentioned the dual using the dual card slots to, to record a lot, you know, extra footage. Um, I'm guessing that you probably didn't get three straight hours of battery life out of an onboard battery. No, definitely not. Yeah. So we had a, an external battery pack in there, uh, that was plugged into both the camera and the GPS. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the main things is having a, a GPS on board so you can find it. Uh, there's no steering this, right? We used <laughs> right. atmospheric modeling to predict roughly where it was going to go. And then you just let go of it and you're like, boy, I sure hope I can find that in nine hours, which is a, a terrifying way to feel about an expensive camera. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the biggest uh, hurdle for us, I think was stabilizing this footage because um, sure. just like a single string attached to a cooler, it's going to spin around and it's going to wobble. And so we put a lot of extra effort into building a very unique uh, support structure attached to the balloon to help keep it as stable as possible. Right. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. It's in the video. You can kind of see it, but I'm curious. Yeah. So it's uh, basically four carbon fiber rods extending from the corners of the of the cooler. And without getting, I guess, too technical here, it, what it does is it increases the, the moment of inertia, which is okay. a, a fancy way to say that, you know, wider things spin slower. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of like when a figure skater is spinning around, they pull their arms in, they speed up. And when they put their arms right. out, they slow down. And so we kind of took advantage of that angular momentum and the physics of that and extended our payload. We made it, uh, you know, almost five feet in diameter. And then that reduces the spinning and then taking those four arms and having four individual strings up to the balloon helps prevent it from rocking back and forth. That and, makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of people that launch weather balloons, they're putting up scientific instruments or like a GoPro. And so having it flail around is not a big deal and everyone just uses one string. And so um, this was kind of proprietary what we did for this, which was pretty fun. Yeah. <clears throat> so now what did you have? I guess here's what I don't know, what I, what I don't know. Do you have a background in that or were you leaning into experts who, who kind of helped you with that? Um, I do have kind of a background in aerospace, as weird as that sounds. I've always been a, a huge space nerd. I like I literally went to space camp. Um, I met John Glenn. I used <laughs> oh, to fly nice. rockets all the time. I'm way more of a an aerospace nerd than you would expect. Mm, uh, and I coming out. I know. I actually do have a college degree in, in the sciences as well. But I, uh, you know, I've been out of the game a little bit. So I did lean on the engineering experts quite a bit for it. And sort of fortunate the head engineer at Breakthrough Photography has a a PhD in aerospace engineering from MIT. So he was flawlessly qualified for this. Oh, that's cool. But, but still the moment of truth, hanging out with those guys down, down here in the lower 48 doesn't really help you at all when you are blowing up a balloon and attaching stuff to it in the middle of a field in the night in Alaska. Totally. Yeah. Like tying the strings mm -hmm. via headlamp with gloves on. It's like, boy, I sure hope that knot is right. There's just so many points of failure, mm -hmm. you know, um, what if you like forget to 
tie the one string that attaches the parachute to it or something. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that totally makes ah, that, that ups the ante a bit. Yeah, definitely. The checklist was extremely long. Okay. So it's a, first of all, it's a breathtaking video. It's a, it's a, I was, um, hooked from the moment I started. Cause it's just, it's just a, it's a really great story. So you did, you did a great job at, um, telling the story, which I think video is sometimes just, Hey, here's a video of what happened, but you guys did a great job, um, in telling that story. But this is not a story that is just, Hey, we put a camera in a box and we tied it to a balloon and it went up there and it was awesome. And then it came back down and we have footage. <laughs> this is, this is, um, this is a more uh, a more nuanced and a a more up and down story. Yeah, yeah. The um, it's kind of tough. And one of the reworks I'm doing on this video, I guess, is to sort of tell a bit more. We really only had one or two shots at this. Um, the weather window in Alaska for when the aurora is visible, but the weather is not just absolutely garbage. Is like two weeks long, and wow. um, during that two weeks it happened to be just ridiculously rainy almost the whole time we were there. And so we were just like bunkered down waiting for these storms to pass. And uh, additionally, you only get so many shots because it's just like astronomically expensive. You know, the balloon right. is $400 and the helium is $800. And so it's like every time you fly, it's a four digit expense. And so we really were like wedged into this extremely narrow window to make everything happen and to accomplish what we were there for. Uh, not just like time wise, but financially speaking as well, because we had some sponsors, but not we're not like ro rolling in the dough, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and so, yeah, we we uh, we really had to like get this right. And um, I don't know how I don't want to like necessarily spoil it, but we uh, we did not <laughs> get it right on our first attempt. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's there's some some downer moments. Um if you want to see a grown man cry, this video is a great place for it. <laughs> that was a, uh, I don't want it to be too, you know, like, Oh, that was really powerful. But I, I was, man, I was really sad for you. Um, uh, when watching, cause I was like, Oh no, <laughs> it's the, uh, <clears throat> in some ways you, you prepare for the worst, but you can't, how do you, how do you prepare for the worst? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I say in the video, I guess is I, I had come to terms with maybe needing two or three flights to get this right. I didn't think it was going to be a full success on the first try, but my thoughts were maybe, you know, the footage wouldn't be stable or we'd have like a memory card error or the balloon wouldn't go very high or something. Uh, I wasn't fully prepared for the likelihood that it would just be an absolute complete failure um, right. without, I guess, uh, kind of spoiling things for your listeners. Uh, if anyone's in Alaska, I can give you a approximate GPS coordinates for a free A7S3 in the middle of the Arctic if you'd like to go try and find it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There's I, there's the uh, Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, I can narrow it down to an area that is four and a half times the size of Chicago. So, oh, um, there you go. There if you, you go. have a couple months, you might find it. Uh, well, I I think if I think that if you didn't find it. There's probably not a chance that uh, somebody's going to go there and intentionally find it, because I know your background in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, <laughs> and most people are not don't have quite that skill set. Yeah, it's just uh, it's such a big area to search too is the tough part. You know, it's not like a flat open field. These are jagged Arctic peaks with forests and rivers, and uh, now they're covered in snow. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and it's a huge, huge area. Like I said, you know, it's. Uh, almost the size of like Yosemite National Park. So think about trying wow. to find a single styrofoam cooler in Yosemite. Yeah. Like how, where would you even start? You know? Yeah. D um, did you guys label the inside of the box? Yes, but okay. We'll see. No, I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm just curious. It'd be really fun to see, you know, what if 10, 15, 20 years from now, somebody reaches out. Yeah. And that's <laughs> totally possible. Um, it's kind of scary though. Our pilot, we went out in a helicopter to try and look for it. Um, yeah. We spent the entirety of our budget trying to find that first flight. And uh, our pilot was telling us all these stories of like, Oh, a plane crashed out here in like 1974 and they found it last year. I was like, Oh, <laughs> great. It only wow. took 40, 50 years. 
Cool. So the <laughs> the way that the one that you the other spoiler is this was a success. People should, if they haven't already, they should probably pause this and go watch the video. Um, we're going to time the release of this this podcast episode to, so that the the video is available. Um, but spoiler alert: you succeeded, and yes, the way that you found the one that you the the, the successful one is that it had GPS. And you already mentioned that, but it had a GPS transponder. Yeah. So the first one also did. It had two GPS units in it, um, which are also in that box. So it's really a treasure trove for whoever finds it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple things that went wrong on the first flight. That winner, went, winner, uh, Sony A7S three chicken dinner, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yes, we we recalibrated. We did some new calculations, and we did succeed on our second flight. Uh, and everything on the second flight functioned properly. So we literally just like flew right out and there it was exactly where we thought it would be, which is really, really, really awesome. So sorry, let me turn on my do not disturb. That is, I don't know if you can hear that or I did not me. even hear it. Oh, okay. My bad. Um, yeah. So we, we just like flew right out to where it landed, where exactly where we thought it was going to be. And uh, everything, everything went perfectly and we got the footage that we wanted and it, was every bit as cool as I was hoping it would be. It is pretty breathtaking. And I, I, you, I know you've done a lot of traveling in kind of the Arctic, uh, the Northern part of our planet and, <laughs> and have seen quite a bit of, uh, of the Aurora Borealis. I saw it once when I was much younger, I spent a summer up in Alaska and this was before digital photography. Um, and it was back when, you know, you couldn't shoot it with, I mean, you could shoot it with film, but it was, there was a good chance it wasn't going to turn out. It is watching that video footage of, of this is just kind of otherworldly for me. <laughs> cause I, I mean, cause I think we've gotten to a point now with digital photography that, you know, it, it, it's not that hard to go with, book a trip to Iceland or Norway or, you know, or, or, or someplace like that. And you can take camera and you can go take pictures of it. And it's not, it's not that hard. This is yeah. a completely different animal. There's, it's kind of, I don't even, I don't have words to describe it. It's kind yeah. of wild. I'm glad to hear that. Cause that, that was kind of the like goal for this, right. Is with social media, we're also exposed to incredible imagery nowadays. And uh, seeing the Aurora Borealis is, is kind of a life-changing experience, but we've all seen a thousand photos of it on our Instagrams and our Twitters and what have you. And so this was, this was our chance to take a photo or get some video of the Northern lights that has never been seen before. And it feels really cool to be able to say that like we have footage that I guarantee you have never seen in your life, which right. is really cool. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and it's well, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that we've all, you know, I mean, all you have to do is look up Aurora Borealis on Instagram or, you know, wherever and see tons of pictures of it. So we know what it looks like from the ground. And, and especially we know what it looks like in these brutal, con, you know, cold conditions. We also know what it looks like from space because they've, they've taken, you know, really yeah. cool photos and videos from the space station. This is interesting because it's, it's like, what does it feel like to actually be there at the same level? Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the idea originally was like, I want to photograph the Aurora from inside the Aurora. And uh, we didn't quite get that high. That's it's in a very weird location, but yeah, you're right. You can, you can see photos like looking down on it from the space station and a lot from the ground looking up. And this is like in immersed in the experience. Yeah. It totally feels like you're inside of it. It feels like, or, or you're like, it feels like it's happening all around you in, in, mm -hmm. in the video, which is interesting. But also maybe the part that was kind of surprising to me was how long the, I don't even know the right words, but they almost like the strands yeah. As they as they kind of circle around, they're they're way more horizontal than I was expecting. Yeah, they're on a good night of aurora, they'll go horizon to horizon, and uh, it's really cool at that altitude. We calculated that the horizon is something like three hundred and seventy five miles away. So when I say horizon to horizon, we're talking about a much bigger distance than when we're on the ground, and we say horizon to horizon. But yeah, they I mean they span almost the entire globe on a strong storm, and. Yeah. Uh, the whole sky was lit up that night. It was really cool. Okay. So you and I have never been personally to 120,000 uh, <laughs> feet. Right. But how did you, like, I, I, I know what it's like to shoot Astro. 
I know what it's like to shoot the moon. And I, I, you know, even though I haven't done it myself, I know the basic settings and how you would get ready to shoot the Aurora Borealis. How do you even prepare to know? I mean, I mean, I, how much of it is auto, how much of it was pre-calculated to get the exposure correct? Yeah. So that's a great question. And that was one of the things that was scariest about this was, uh, we had to just kind of trust the equipment. And that was one of the advantages of having a brand new camera with a brand new algorithm and processing software in it. Um, so we set our, our frame rate cause you know, there's like some simple rules and video for your frame rate and your uh-huh. shutter speed. And we locked off our focus. We locked off our focal length and our aperture. So everything was manual except for ISO. Okay. Um, we put it on auto ISO and we limited it because, you know, the A7S three can go up to like 400 something thousand ISO, but that's what they call like a push ISO, right? You start getting much right. lower quality. And so right. we, we capped it at the native max, which is 102,400 ISO. And we just <laughs> kind of figured, I know, that's right? It's crazy. It sounds like a gibberish number, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So we set the ISO on auto with that cap and uh, we, figured we had to trust the camera if it was super dark it would max it out and if it you know if like a crazy burst of aurora happened and it got super bright we had to trust the camera to kind of adjust itself on the fly and uh i think we kind of got lucky it worked out great but there was a a small amount of trust there where we had to just kind of hope that the camera was going to do a good enough job anticipating that well i've seen the results and i think it, it obviously did work is there any, I guess, what was there, was there anything where it was brighter than you? Like, is there any part where you had to adjust footage because it wasn't quite right or that sort of thing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did some, some massaging on the footage for sure. Um, cause you know, it was shooting raw. So just like a, yeah. a raw photograph, it doesn't quite have the punch. So I did, you know, add some contrast, add some saturation, uh, in general though, I think the camera did a great job. There's only a couple sections maybe where it's like a little overexposed in parts of the Aurora. And that's kind of unavoidable because the Aurora, you know, like the, the ground is dark sky is pitch black and the Aurora is literally glowing light. So the camera did a really good job with that. What did you feel? um, And this is maybe the part that I was thinking while I was watching. What are, what are the stars? How does that feel in the footage compared to what you shoot from, from the surface of the planet? Um, and I know you were, you weren't, that wasn't the subject. The subject was really totally. the Aurora Borealis, but I'm, I'm guessing were you, were you focused out at infinity? Yeah. So we manually focused on the ground on okay. the stars and we're, yeah, we just kind of had to trust like for all intents and purposes, they are the same distance, right? Like we right, went right. 25 miles vertically or whatever. The stars are still the same distance, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like for all intents and purposes, they are so far away that that's zero change. So we just had to trust yeah. that and it worked out. They look focused. Um, yeah. One of my favorite parts of the flight actually is when there's a, it's in the film, but there's a, a shot with the Aurora curving around the horizon and uh-huh. in the curve, you can see Orion. I saw uh, that. <laughs> and it's really cool to see like a, co- a familiar constellation right. from so high up. Um, and it kind of like redefined how I feel about astrophotography because I always tell my students on workshops like a good photo of the stars is not just a photo of the stars like the foreground is what makes it right so you want like right. a tree or a person or a mountain and it's very weird in this footage because the foreground is flat but it's our entire planet right like you can see right. the curve you can see the thin layer of atmosphere and right. we're above the atmosphere even which is well, most of it, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty weird that it's like you would describe it maybe as a boring foreground, but it is so fascinating because it's planet earth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I noticed, um, probably right at the beginning of the footage, you can see like a glowing area on the ground. Was that Fairbanks? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I yep. mean, it, and it's crazy cause it's so far below it's, you know, we're yeah. used to seeing what glowing cities look like from planes you know, if, if you do if you take any domestic flights at night but yeah. uh but that was just kind of otherworldly and it, it reminds me um i don't know if you uh, if you have an apple tv but they yeah. have all those crazy high resolution uh slow-mo videos and there's a bunch that are taken from the space station yeah they're so and, cool and it kind of it just kind of reminded me of that a little bit just oh yeah i can see a little glowing area and i'm sure that's a major city and it looks like 
you know, the, something the size of a quarter at the bottom of the frame. Right. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty weird. Um, there's one spot, I didn't put it in the final film, but there's one section from the balloon. We're at like 95,000 feet or something. And a, a plane, like a commercial airline flies below us. Mm. And it's just this tiny little speck. Just flickering can, lights. Yeah. And it is so weird thinking like they're at 30,000 feet and they are so far below us. It almost looks like they're on the ground. It's, it's fascinating. Right. So this is, I mean, this feels, we'll see what, you know, obviously I think it'll be an interesting thing to see how people react to this, but what has it done for you? What is the, you know, what, what is this meant for you? How do you feel after having done this and realizing it's not released yet? You haven't seen what the reception is going to be like, but tell me about what it's, what the experience was like for you. And, and, and if you can speak to, for your partners that were there with you and yeah, that'd be cool too. I mean, it kind of feels like my first like real big boy project, I guess. Um, it's really difficult to have an idea that no one's ever done before. And mm-hmm. I still, I don't know if I would say maybe difficult's not the right word. Cause I don't feel like I like tried hard to have the idea. I just kind of got lucky. Um, right. <laughs> it's not like I went to the idea gym and lifted idea weights and got strong <laughs> enough to have a good idea, but <laughs> I magically came up with a, a concept that hadn't been done. And, uh, it, yeah, it feels, it feels kind of cool, I guess right now. Like, uh, I know that I have some really unique footage and I've done something that will maybe help separate our team from the pack a little bit. And I'm, I'm just really excited for people to see it. Cause it's, it's way prettier than I was even hoping for. And I, I'm just really excited for people to see that. Cause I love nature photography and I love astrophotography. And this is, it's really, really, really fun to see something new. Yeah, no, that's, 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 uh, good answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I like it. So, um, tell us about the, um, I knew, you know, you and I talked before and I knew, um, a little bit about the team that was going, but tell us about the team that you put together for this project. Yeah. So, um, my girlfriend, Autumn was the first person I told about it. Of course, uh, I had the idea at Sony's condo event last year. So I, I came home as I usually do from trips, just like kick the door in like the SWAT team. And I was like, oh, I have a crazy idea. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she, I'm very fortunate. She's as very one supportive does. of me. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I live my life a little bit like a lunatic. I get very excited about things and she's, I'm very lucky. She's so supportive of it. Um, but she's uh she's an astrophotographer more so than me. Like that is her thing. She, the moon, the sure. stars, absolutely obsessed with it. So it was a kind of a no brainer to bring her along on this. She would have probably smothered me with a pillow if I had even considered not bringing her on this. Well, and I'll, I'll just say she seems like I was just watching. She seems so detail oriented. Yes, and that yeah, is so I, important. Um, I was just watching, and she kept she was going over things, and she was checking things, and checking yep. settings, and bringing things in, and you know, just it was kind of cool to watch. Her. Yeah, she's she's like a human checklist. It's perfect. She yeah is very organized and detail oriented, and she which is a perfect yin to my yang, which, you know, I'm, I'm like a beehive with a thousand potentially good things happening. And I try to like grab one bee and I hope it's an okay bee. Uh, (laughs) She's the one who like gets all the bees in a line and turns them into a coherent thought for me, which is awesome. Um, and then like this metaphor, but I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. (laughs) I I borrowed that from Robin Williams. Actually, that's how he described his own brain. And I was like, that feels right. Yeah. Um, and so she, uh, yeah, she was really good for like helping me figure out these settings and how we were going to manage a camera, you know, for like being remote sensing. Like, how do you want to handle it at night? She right. has a lot of experience with that stuff, manually focusing, color grading star footage and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, and then the third person on this is Austin Smith, who um, he's actually my climbing partner. We've climbed a okay. bunch of big mountains together and do a bunch of crazy adventures uh, but coincidentally, he's also uh, a pilot and he has been for 15 years. So that seemed like the perfect trio for making yeah. this happen, right? Is um, two avid photographers who love nature photography and astrophotography. And then Austin, who is extremely competent in flying things. And of course, this is remote. We weren't like actually controlling it, but he really helped us with, um, you know, weather patterns. He has access to all these apps that drive. Right you know, different atmospheric layers. We passed through like four different atmospheric layers. So 
modeling our flight path. He was very helpful for that. Dealing with the FAA and making sure we weren't violating airspace regulations. Right. And uh, between the three of us, we kind of checked all the boxes that needed to be checked to make this happen. No, that makes a lot of sense. The it's, if you're not a pilot, all it takes is studying for the drone uh, exams to begin to understand that you don't know what you're doing. Yes. And this is a, this is kind of a toy. It's not a real airplane. Uh, it's not a real helicopter. Yeah. So having somebody who actually understands, okay, what happens when you get above 400 feet? You know, <laughs> totally, that's, totally. And that's different. Uh, Fairbanks is kind of interesting because they have a, you know, an international airport, but they also have three or four different military bases oh, okay. nearby. And they all have, it's kind of intricate there. It makes sense because it's very remote. And so they have not standard airspaces where it's not right. like, just don't fly here. There's one where it's like, you can't fly between 3000 and 12,000 feet from 7am to 9pm Monday through Friday and Saturday right. and Sunday, it goes from 12,000 to 20,000. And it was just like, it was a lot. And Austin has all of these aviation maps and he was, he was yeah. really good at making sure. Cause you know, it's, it's not like you fly your drone through a slightly restric- restricted airspace and you hope that nobody sees the footage on YouTube. This is like if you float a 40 foot diameter balloon through an air force base, somebody's in a, yeah, somebody's knocking on you. If, if they, if they don't shoot it down first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's a, you know, we're, we're talking about a big issue there. So it was yeah. pretty important to, to make sure we were following all those rules. Well, and having somebody who is, is a pilot understands because those sectional charts are just really daunting. They don't, yes. If you don't understand how to read them, it's not like, um, it's not like getting a regular map with a little, little legend off to the side. Yeah. They don't give you a legend with the sectional charts. You can, you have to know how to read them. <laughs> yeah. They expect those, the legend to be in your head. Like you, yeah. you need to know what the things are. Well, and literally all they do is there'll be like a circle around something on the map and there's a bunch of numbers next to the center of the circle. And then there's a, it'll have like a hashed line around there. And then depending on the color and the, and the spacing of the hashing tells you what kind of airport it is or what kind of, you know, how it's limited or those kinds of, so it's, you, you totally have to know it. And I, there's a reason why I've studied, I bought a tutorial, I've studied and I have not taken the test yet because I, I don't understand sectional charts well enough yet. <laughs> yeah, so same. I, I totally get studying it. as well. And it's, oh, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. So the, this is, where is this uh, project going to live when it, when it's out in the wild? So we're going to uh, do a preliminary launch on my YouTube um, just so people have a chance to, to see it for free. Um, and we feel like that'd be really good for like getting it out there, right? You can embed the YouTube video, people can share it, yada, yada. And then we're going to, we're going to put it on Amazon prime as well, a little further down the road. Okay, Um, So it has somewhere a little more professional to live in the long term. Right. Right. Is this something that, um, now you worked with Sony on this, of course. Yep. What's, what's the, uh, what's the benefit to them? What, what's, uh, what's, what, what's the relationship with Sony look like from on this project? Sure. Yeah. So, um, I mean, this was uh, something that's never been done, but with a brand new camera also. So like very little had been done with that camera. So we're, we're partnering with them. They let us borrow this. They helped finance a little bit of the trip, but um, you know, we're, we're letting them share this video as well. So they're going to hopefully post some of our footage on their Instagram. Uh, they're going to share, cool. uh, you know, embed the YouTube video. I'm going to write up a couple articles about why the a seven S three, why the 20 millimeter right. uh, stuff like that. And then we're also kind of working with them and B and H the plan when I started with this idea was to go on kind of like a speaking tour um, mm-hmm. for like premiere nights and stuff. But, um, you know, 2020 is the worst year. And so <laughs> this is there the were, media we tour. All had, we all had better ideas in the before times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's all changed. Yeah. And it was a it was a really good idea on my part to do something really, really stressful in 2020 because nothing was stressful this year. So <laughs> I'm really proud of myself for you know, throwing a curveball at myself that complicated 2020. Otherwise I would have been so bored. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just the, the uh. stress icing on the stress cake. But um, yeah, so we're, we're going to do kind of a media promotional tour. It'll just be digital now instead of in person. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what things people come up with because they see this. Yeah. You know, know, I, that's one thing that is 
whenever somebody really pushes the envelope and has this, uh, you know, something kind of new, then people figure out, they go, oh, oh, that's possible. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know. And you kind of, I kind of like wonder what, what happens next? You know, what's, what door is this opening f- for creative people to, you know, you talked about, it's not like you go lift weights, lift idea weights, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yet it, I don't know if you've ever, um, spend any time with uh with people who are authors but they always say like you don't get inspired to write and then go sit down and write you you write every day and that's how you become good at it yes and so it's 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 the idea of well it's ideation i think is the, the the word for it but by doing that a lot you begin to harness the ability to do it and i wonder like did you just up the game for a bunch of people like they're all going to get inspired and do really cool stuff I hadn't even actually considered that, but that would be really, really cool. I would be thrilled if this helped kind of, you know, push a new section of aerial photography. Um, I would love if, you know, a couple of years from now, this is the worst footage of the Aurora Borealis <laughs> from the stratosphere. That would be so cool because that would mean that I get to see even more beautiful stuff. Uh, yeah, exactly. I have no interest in ever flying a balloon again. This is the most stressful <laughs> thing that's ever happened to me. But <laughs> I think you said that in the video. Yeah. I'm, oh, my gosh. Um I could be talked into it. I think if the situation, if I had like a, a Sony Venice and a cinema lens and, you know, like a full team supporting me and I like, <laughs> I wasn't fully responsible for making everything go right. But, uh, this, I, I think you're right. Like other people are going to start moving forward with new balloon flights and stuff. And it'll be really cool to see. Well, literally no one is as qualified as you are at this point. Well, I don't know. There's people that are probably more qualified at the balloon part of things. Right, right, right. <laughs> the but, camera part. But no, literally nobody's done this before. So that's, it, this is, this is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Well, and part of what made me think and, and, and say that about how it might inspire people is I, I shoot Astro as well and I am, uh, I really enjoy it and I can, I can tell you what inspired me to do it in the first place and it's, it's a, a like a series of photos that one person did that I just locked on and was like, that's amazing. I have to do that. And it was a, a photographer that's that's lives here in Portland named Ben Canales. And uh, I don't know if I know ben, him. I'd love to see those. Yeah, you got to look him up. Um, ben Canales. And he has done, he had a photo that was before everybody used to point their headlamps up in the air under the Milky Way. He had a photo published in National Geographic laying in the snow next to Crater Lake with his headlight pointing up in the air. Oh, cool. And it's literally the first, it's the first photo that I had ever seen like that. And then he had another one standing on the top of uh, the South Sister from the Three Sisters in in Oregon. And it's, they just kind of, it's kind of game changing work. And I I have talked to so many people who say Ben's Milky Way photography is what caused me to want to do this awesome. and then and then it just goes next level and i think of um you know um like michael shane bloom's uh, mm. uh time lapse ast- astrophotography work as well it kind of like i remember that's the first time i ever saw that and then all of a sudden it just started ramping up and now people are doing crazy stuff that he never could have even imagined when he started yeah yeah it's uh it is really fun when you look back on like the people who inspired you to get into it and i think that's the the greatest honor as a photographer right that's what we all kind of strive for with our careers is to be one of those people who helps inspire others to push themselves yeah yeah definitely okay so not to take anything away from this current project but what is has this made you start thinking about what comes next and not, um, not, you don't have to give away specific details, but just even areas, even things that you want to be, that you want to experiment with. Yeah. Um, I actually do have a couple other things in the works already because I hate sleep and I, uh, <laughs> I'm never, I don't ever want to be comfortable, I guess. So I, uh, I've already started working on my next couple things, even while I'm editing this. And it's, uh, I'm kind of, I'm sticking with the low light video niche. Cool. I can't give away too much because it's yeah, yeah, too early, but um. I think that's kind of the next frontier. Uh, you know, it's like we've pushed the the resolution boat out to sea, so to speak. And the the low light sensitivity is the next frontier of photography. Amazing ISO performance, 
super sharp wide aperture lenses. Those are what the camera developers are working on. And so Mm -hmm. that's the frontier to be explored by the artists to help capitalize on those technological developments. Uh, And so that's when when you tell Sony, I've got a project, give me a faster lens. Totally. Well, I've been, (laughs) I've been asking for like a 12 to 600 F 1.2 for years, but (laughs) I don't know, I guess something about like the laws of physics. Yeah. You need a truck to haul that. I'll buy a truck. (laughs) (laughs) For that I'd lens, probably, yeah. You could probably mount that to the top of your camper. Oh, that would be so awesome. <laughs> well, and, um, it's interesting you mentioned that, the video thing. I, w- I was literally just watching this morning a video from a, a Northwest uh, photographer, uh, Nick Page. Mm-hmm. And he was out doing, uh, you know, filming some video while he was leading a workshop. And all of a sudden I realized he's talking and he's, and he's filming himself. And then I started noticing the frame rate was kind of weird and slow. And I was like, he's shooting this with an a seven S three and sure. And sure enough, I was like, nobody did that before. You can't just go out and film yourself underneath the Milky way and be talking and not light yourself. It's crazy. He was doing it. it. And I was like, okay, okay. That's, that's next level. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how that, changes things for sure. Cause, uh, I don't know if you saw Renan's video, mm-hmm. uh, oh, Moon, yeah. Moonwalk and I, I can't say I've that was like an times. inspiration for me. Cause I, I was already working on this idea when that video came out, but when he released that, I was like, Oh yeah, we are yeah, going to yeah. make this happen. Cause yeah, there's, there's scenes in that where he's sitting there talking and they're like, dude, we can see the stars behind you. And <laughs> it's just yeah, unreal. Well, especially the one, the one part that was that just kind of blew my mind is the footage where they have it on the bottom of a drone yeah. of, the, of them walking through the, uh, the, you know, moonlit, uh, landscape. And you can see these people walking through with headlamps on them, like, but it's not just, you don't just see lights, which is what you would have seen with it with previous cameras. You can yep. actually see them. You can see the whole, the whole landscape. Um, I was just thinking yeah. that was pretty amazing. Yeah. This opens up like a whole new, a whole new realm for videographers. And I, I'm so excited to see where it goes because you never had access to that before. Like you had to always use supplemental lighting and you had to make the choice between, do I see the sky or do I see my subjects? And now right. you don't have to make that choice anymore. So when you guys were doing all of the behind the scenes, what were you filming that with? Um, we, we had two a seven S threes with us. So we were using those for as much of the filming as we possibly could. Cause even in good lighting conditions, like in broad daylight, it still is the best video right. camera that Sony right. has in their consumer lineup like that. Um, especially cause it can do, you know, 4k 120. So we used that for, for almost everything. But then for the second flight, when we had one a seven S three in the cooler and the other a seven S three in the wilderness <laughs> we uh we were filming with the a7 three okay yeah what i was i was kind of watching it, it i and i was thinking to myself while i was watching it, like, that looks like they're maybe shooting that with an a7 s3 like yeah it, it it has a look the the a7 the a7s models have they look different totally and the video i sent you has no color grading on it so it probably oh, okay. was extra <laughs> i've done no color editing to that so it probably was extra obvious which one was which yeah well the one thing i the, uh, <clears throat> i didn't mention this earlier but you so we talked i don't remember when it was probably it was either it's like mid september i think maybe uh yeah something like that something like that and and i was like oh that that'll be cool and then you started, you texted me from up there and then you texted me some footage and I just, I think I probably played it on my phone probably 30 times just <laughs> watching it over and over again. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> so I've been waiting to see this, the, the actual final footage. Cause the cool. stuff you, the stuff you sent me on my phone is of course, you know, it's not real, <laughs> it's yeah, not totally. real high res. It's just, uh, but it's, but it was just like, wow. Okay. This is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to, to finally release this. And, uh, you know, the, the video to like keep the pacing, right. Only has a couple minutes of footage. We like chose some of the best parts, but you may want to include the 45 minutes of it sitting on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is cool. Cause we have from the flight from like, you know, 20,000 feet where it starts getting interesting to when the balloon bursts, we have, it's like an hour and 45 minutes of video. So I don't know, maybe someday I'll just drop the entire flight film on my youtube there you I go 
<laughs> well, you know, I mean, th- there are um, there there are ten hour videos of uh, uh, Nick Offerman uh, drinking scotch. So you know, that's true. You can upload as many hours. You probably should loop it, and you can have oh, hours of, of footage from a of the Aurora Borealis from a balloon. Maybe I'll just try to get Nick Offerman to hang out. And we'll drink scotch you together should, and watch the film. Him. Yeah, you should ask him. <laughs> That would be a dream. That would be so fun. I'm a pretty big Ron Swanson fan. Me too. I kind of identify with him a little bit in that I I like my privacy. I don't really i I do not like when social media sites and stuff know my personal information. <laughs> I, you know, like you Google something once and you're getting ads for it for three months. That's my worst nightmare. Of so I'm definitely a little bit of a Ron Swanson in that regard. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the. I think there's a whole episode where he's basically freaking out because he doesn't want anybody to know his birthday and they're planning a surprise birthday party for him. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're pretty big fans around here. <laughs> well, this is, um, I'm really excited for you to have this out in the world. I, th- I think it's in some ways, you know, it's, it's cool for you and your team to have this out there and have, and to be able to share this. But I feel like in some ways, this also raises it raises awareness at least for me i think that's part of our atmosphere that's part of how we breathe it's 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 a amazing thing that happens completely without us the, yeah. the planet the planet the solar system the sun all work together to make this happen and we just kind of get to hang out and watch it and to to know that that's the kind of thing that's at stake when we talk about taking care of our planet. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. It, it not really to turn puts it things too in political, but no, you're totally right. It, it does give you a new perspective when you're so high up and you're looking down, you can actually see that it's a, a ball, you know, you can see that we're on a, a globe and we're all there together. And it, it does kind of give you a sense of unity a little bit more. Yeah. It gave me the warm fuzzies. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I guess the whole point, right? Yeah, exactly. After we crush your spirit halfway through, uh, we, we want to lift you back up. Right, exactly. Well, I'll um, we'll I'll certainly share the links to the story um, to, to the video at wherever it's shared. And for those who didn't listen to your and start following you last time I interviewed you, what's the best way for people to keep track of what you're up to 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 know when the next cool project comes along? Yeah, I uh, I just go by Nate in the Wild online pretty much the same on all platforms. So if you type that into your favorite search engine, I should pop up. I can vouch for that. It's easy to find you. Cool. That's what I like. Yeah. It's uh, (laughs) yeah, we, we won't, we won't send you ads though, you know, that are specific to anything violate your privacy. Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) I love when I get an ad that has nothing to do with me. I'm like, yes, I fooled him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They think I'm a 14 year old girl. Exactly. Perfect. Let's keep it that way. That's uh, when you get start getting ads for Claire's, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks again for coming back on and, and sharing this project. I'm real excited for you. And ne- let me know next time something like this comes along. Will do. Yeah. Thanks for we'll, having we'll me back on. Trick. Have you on. All again. right. Sweet. Yeah. I, uh, hopefully in a couple months, I'll be able to start talking about what's next in the pipeline. Sounds awesome. Cool. Well, hey, thanks again. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Also, I'm open to suggestions for interesting people to interview. So if you know of someone I should talk to, please reach out. You can reach out to me via the email link in the show notes, or you can send a message on Instagram or Facebook with the handle at GoTakePictures. New episodes are on the way soon, and if you subscribe, you'll get them as soon as they drop. But in the meantime... Go take pictures.